0: Hey folks, this is Steve Bradley, God's Wordsmith, and today I want to talk to you about the Passover and Lord's Supper from Matthew chapter 26. So, let's get going. Matthew chapter 26, 17 through 30, is what details this particular thing. Now, on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go to a city, to a certain man, into the city, to a certain man, and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? Jesus responded. He said to him, you have said it. And Jesus really is kind of saying, yeah, right, that's true. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and gave thanks, and gave it, gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine. From now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Folks, we're now entering the holiest moments of the New Testament, where Jesus, who was born to die, as Billy Graham once said, is about to fulfill his great purpose on earth. The chapters that detail his death and resurrection teach us the defining concepts of Christianity. Let's discuss the Passover for a few moments. The Passover is one of the most important festivals of Judaism. It's also defining for Christians because of Jesus' death and resurrection, which is the central event in Christianity. All the New Testament, after the Gospels, is an interpretation and application of what Jesus did for us on the cross and on his resurrection. The first three Gospels give us details about that final night of Passover. Uh, Now I want you to note that no Passover after that last Passover had any validity or power. It became a simple act of Judaism but had nothing to do with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ except as a prophecy and memorial. So the Passover was and is a memorial of a religion that is no longer in effect. Now the focus of this passage is especially interesting because Matthew doesn't discuss the Passover and how it was carried out because that would have been common knowledge to most of the readers of his gospel in the first century. Instead, he majors on the betrayal, communion, and the disciples' coming defection. Judas' betrayal is also a defining moment because it influenced all that followed. And so the scripture says, When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said assuredly, I say to you, One of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Now evidently the disciples all thought they would mistakenly or accidentally betray Jesus to the authorities, and that would be what got him killed. Even though innocent, it filled them with great sorrow and fear. So Jesus expands on this original comment of his, saying, He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? Jesus responds, You have said it, meaning, yes, you are correct, and you know, and I know, that it's you. Now, I believe that this is the point at which Judas leaves. John gives us more detail. The disciples are all together, and Peter signals to John to find out who the betrayer is. This, of course, comes from John chapter 13. Then Jesus, leaning back on Jesus' breast, John said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. This is an important event. Because look what happens. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Satan would not trust this moment to Judas' own abilities, but he personally entered Judas. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Now it's at this point that Judas leaves, before the first communion, John chapter 13 verse 30 defines this moment saying, having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately and it was night. Jesus makes the first reference to this business of night in John chapter 9 verse 4 when he says the night comes when no man can work. He means that Satan will influence the events of his betrayal and crucifixion, and they're timing so much that it seems that he's actually in control. Now, folks, he's not. This was all ordained of God. But it seems like Satan is in control. At his arrest, Jesus says, This is your hour and the power of darkness. This is Jesus' reference to the time that Satan was allowed to be the spiritual agency behind the crucifixion of the Son of God. And folks, remember this because it, there are times when it seems as if Satan really does control the events, and God backs away for a little while and allows that. Why? Why? for his own purposes so <clears throat> it's night at that point in time we're told and it uh, for, for some reason I think John refers to this in both a physical and spiritual sense because the darkness was now upon them and the only place that there was light was in that room, that upper room where the Passover was being uh, that where they were eating the Passover. So <clears throat> Satan appears to rule. and I really don't understand the spiritual oppression and the darkness of that hour. It had to be the worst and darkest and most evil spiritual moment in all of history. And frankly, nothing will be like it until the Antichrist arises. No matter what you think, the times are going to be much worse when the Antichrist comes. Judas leaves this group of disciples and it was now the eleven and Jesus then institutes the Lord's Supper, or the Communion as we often call it, or sometimes the Lord's Table. Now it's here that John chapter 13, verse 31 through seventeen twenty six occurs after Judas leaves. Judas was not present for either the First Communion or the Upper Room Discourse, which is given only to the Eleven. Very important to understand this, because Judas was excluded from these holy moments by his own choice. He did not want to be there. So here is the first communion. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then my guess is that this is when the upper room discourse occurs or it occurs before, and then they have the communion. Anyway, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, in one of the worst assessments of himself that's ever existed, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Let's go back to the First Communion for a moment. This First Communion is full of significance and power. Jesus said that the bread and wine were his body. I don't agree that the bread and wine or grape juice, if if that's what you use, in the New Testament it was certainly wine, I don't agree that these two things in some way become the body and blood of Jesus now for a number of reasons which we'll explore at length another time, but it is true that communion brings with it a strong presence of the Lord. It's a very special time And it needs to be treated as such. Suffice it to say for now that the idea of a perpetual sacrifice, in other words, Jesus coming and giving his body and blood at the mass, as it's called, every time, is repugnant to the idea of Jesus dying only once for the remission of sins. He died one time, and that was enough On the other hand, I'd truly like to see communion conducted with more attention. You know, I've been in churches, folks, where it's kind of an afterthought or a beforethought, where you have five minutes for communion or ten minutes for communion, and then you have the most important part, which is supposedly the sermon. The most important part is the communion. I've also been in churches, in fact, I pastored one, or a whole evening was given to the service. And that is how it should be. At least, that's how I like it. <clears throat> Taking a few moments does not really give you and me time to truly consider what Jesus did for us or what it means. He says, this do in remembrance of me. Why did he say that? Because he wants us to remember His gift, His amazing gift of dying for us and rising again so that we can be cleansed of our sins and have eternal life. It is the greatest moment in all of the universe's history. Everything proceeds toward it and everything flows from it. It's the most important moment. So we need time for this service. And in fact, in the early church, communion seems often to have been fairly involved. It included a meal, fellowship, prayers, and then the communion as the highlight. This is probably illustrated in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. The important part, though, for us is worshiping the Lord and remembering what he has done for us. I do not believe that the Bible teaches that a man has to be ordained to serve communion. I'm going to just throw that out there because I think you can remember the Lord whenever you have a meal that's designed for it. I don't believe that it's necessary to have an ordained man present to serve communion. Why? Well, because it doesn't say so in the New Testament. You'll, you'll not find that there. Now, I want to talk momentarily about the denial because this is so important. Uh, one thing that is certain about the Bible's prophecies is that they come true. They always come true. Jesus even says they must come true. When we get to Luke, we'll read in Luke 24 about Jesus walking with the two disciples to Emmaus, and he says, O fools and slow of heart to believe that all the things which are prophesied in the scripture must come true. They have to to happen. Every single prophecy will be fulfilled this one that Jesus quotes, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, comes from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, which says, A Waco sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion. Old King James has fellow. Many of the new versions have associate. Awake, O shepherd, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my fellow, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. This passage prophesies the disaster that comes upon the Lord Jesus. As a part of that, the sheep, his disciples, will be scattered. Now, the disciples really don't believe this. They think that they can resist what's coming. But Jesus has already told them, I'm going to be crucified. They say, particularly Peter, I'll die for you. Now please don't discount that attitude, because when they said it, they meant it. It's possible for us to mean to do the right thing and fail, and then return to do the right thing later. They cannot at this point even imagine forsaking the Lord, yet every single one of them did, with Peter added to it denying him three times. And I'm always amazed, folks, at preachers who think they would have done differently. They just don't know what it was like. And I don't care how courageous you are, how fearless you are, if you had been there and Jesus said, you'll be scattered, you would have been scattered, just like they were. And please don't discount the disciples and think of them as foolish people. I've heard this sort of brought out by preachers many times. These were men of God. These were the best of their generation. These men all did eventually die for the Lord Jesus, except for John. And when I say they died for the Lord Jesus, I mean they were martyred. John, it appears, was not, because he is the one who sees the book of Revelation. It's his vision. And at that point in time, he was on the Isle of Patmos. And after that, we don't know what happened to him. But there's no record of him being martyred. So, the disciples were all to be scattered, and that is what happened. They all forsook him and fled, the scripture says. Why? Well, it was part of the plan. It was meant to be, and so it happened that way. However, now, Jesus shines his final ray of hope. After I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. What an amazing statement. He's looking beyond this crucifixion, beyond his own death, and says, I'm going to Galilee after I'm risen. So Jesus has already planned what will be his resurrection and the days that follow. In other words, he knew exactly what was going to happen. It was part of the plan. Now, something for you here. Whenever the day is dark and you've really messed up, remember this. You may run from God, but you can come back. You may deny Jesus. You can return, as Peter did. Your days may be filled with darkness and evil, spiritual oppression so heavy you cannot escape it, I've known people like this. I've been subjected to it. That is temporary. Believe the word of God. Believe the Lord. Micah chapter 7 verse 8 says, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. The Lord will lift you up from the quicksand and set your feet upon a rock. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon my rock, upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. Many will see it in fear. That is, they will become reverent to the Lord and they will trust in the Lord. Folks, He will do this for you. This is not just for one person. The Bible is not just written to one person, it's written to you. It's God's letter to you. It's a long letter, has a lot of illustrations, <clears throat> and some of the co- commands. And some of the promises are universal, and some are meant only for a certain time, but most of them apply to you. He will do this for you. Call upon him. Wait for him that he may show you great and marvelous things which you do not know. God bless you all. This is Steve Bradley, God's wordsmith with Matthew chapter 26, the communion, the betrayal, and the denial. May God richly bless you today.